We're so happy that you've linked into Transforming Truth. The message you're about to hear is part of a new series that we are airing, and the series is called How God Works With You. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And as we look at the kingdom of God, we need to understand His word, yes. His works, yes. But a lot of people don't understand His ways, so they misunderstand what He says and what He's doing. So this series is going to help you understand how God works with you. We are not in a series per se on Sundays. Uh, last Wednesday, a few days ago, I started a series on Wednesday night, and it's really going to focus on how God works with you. Um, there are three primary things that I, I want to help Christians grow in, and that is the Word of God, the works of God, but also the ways of God. The Word of God, uh, listen, we are so privileged to own a copy of God's Word, and uh, you, you can know Him as much as you want to through the Word of God. Be a student of the Word, eat the Word, live the Word, share the Word, all of that. The works of God are, are, are the outflow of our lives. Jesus said, the works that I do, you're going to do, and greater works than I do, you will do. And that's a pretty stunning statement from the, the Son of God, that, that God has prepared before time, beforehand, works that you and I will live out, things that He wants us to do in the kingdom. But right now where my heart is is to help believers know the ways of God if we don't understand his ways his word can confuse us and his works may never get done because God in his own unique way brings opportunities to us and so although it's not a Wednesday night this message technically follows uh, falls into that category of how God works with you last Sunday when we gathered together I'll be honest with you, the Lord was moving in the service, but I did not get to share all that I wanted to share concerning that passage of Scripture where the children of Israel were right up against the Jordan River, and it was time for them to move out of the season, the decades of wandering, and move into gaining or procuring their inheritance. And um, there was so much more I wanted to say last week, and I didn't get to. And as I was praying on Monday morning, I really sensed the Lord leading me back into that story and that narrative and we're going to be in the book of deuteronomy in two places this morning deuteronomy chapter number nine and then we're going to leap from there into deuteronomy chapter number 20. Um, the verses will be up on your screen but i'm going to ask you in honoring this passage of scripture as the word of god those of you that are physically able to stand would you do that let's honor the initial reading of scripture you can follow along uh, in your bible uh, i have my bible on my ipad uh, I don't care how you bring it. If it's digital, read it. If it's paperback, read it. If it's leather, read it. Um, my desire is that we would be students and pursuers of God through his word. And this morning, through the example and the counsel given to Israel, we're going to talk about his greatness that we already sang about. And he's going to talk to us about our fears. And you can leave here dramatically changed today. I believe in encounters with God that leave us as we never were before. And I don't believe that stopped at the end of the first century. I believe that God is still doing it today. In Deuteronomy chapter number nine, the first three verses. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today, to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. Say fire. 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 
He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Now I'm going to move into Deuteronomy chapter 20. If you can't turn there quickly enough, look up on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's two commandments in here. Each passage began with it. Hear. Hear it. Listen. Believe. So Father, in the name of Jesus, increase faith now. Increase faith now. Increase faith now. Increase faith in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Yesterday, an American icon died. That was weak. Maybe I'm off key. Adam West died. I grew up watching the syndicated reruns of Batman and Robin, Batman. And um, it was only on for three seasons when it originally aired in the 1960s. But Batman was successful. Let me tell you why. Everybody's looking for a hero. Everybody's looking for a hero. We, we want to know that somebody will fight for us. We want to know that somebody's there to defend us. We want to know that somewhere around us, there's a bad guy that's going to take care of the enemy. And it's just part of the human experience to want to see good triumph over evil. And so in that very innocent yet fictitious story of, of the life of Bruce Wayne, who is alter ego is Batman, we, we love to see that those fight scenes, Batman and Robin and the kapows and the whop and the bam and all of that. And, and it was just part for me a part of my childhood growing up. And then as you grow up, there is this tendency to start seeing life with a different view. There is the possibility that you and I will stop looking for a hero. There's a greater possibility that you and I will never consider that we could be heroic in this life. But the reality is, is that the champion of love, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ came down and not merely showed himself to be heroic, and though we could in human terms call him that, he showed himself to be Lord. He showed himself to be Master. He showed himself to be the Almighty God wrapped in, a, in an earth suit, a human form, a DNA, a human DNA that he got from his mother Mary. And though born of a virgin, he walked out the human pilgrimage he looked up the same sky that you look at. He saw the same moon at night that you see. 
He was uh, heated by the same sun that has been warming us the last several days, which I've been very glad for. But ultimately, when the time came, the fullness of time came, Jesus Christ stepped in front of the whole human race when the condemnation and the wrath of the Father had to be poured out on sin. And Jesus said, Father, here am I. Put it on me that these may go free. Uh, To say that that's heroic would be the greatest understatement. But I want you to know, because you are a believer in Jesus Christ, when you bowed your heart to Jesus Christ and you said yes to his gift of eternal life through his sacrifice on the cross, trusting in nothing else but believing that the blood that he shed satisfied the righteous demand for payment for sin, and that when Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered your death, he conquered your condemnation, he conquered Satan's access to your life. The devil has no rights in your life anymore. He only has entrance when you and I open the door. But the Lord has cut him off. And listen, now that you are indwelt by this one named Jesus, my friend, I want to tell you that God wants you to be used for heroic things in your lifetime. It's not a matter of us waiting for a new Batman. It's a matter of believing the word of God and trusting that when he said that we have been given the victory, he did not stutter. He means what he says. So this morning, I'm speaking to people who know all of this theologically, but we live in the reality of pressures, problems. We come up against roadblocks. We have human enemies. And if we find ourselves in a season with no human opposition, it is always true that we have opposition from the realm of darkness. And the question is this, will we hear the Lord? Will we listen to the Lord or will we listen to every lesser voice that seeks to deny us a movement into the fullness of the inheritance? And what I speak for individuals in this room, I also speak to the entity known as Newbridge Church, that God has territory for us. He has land for us. He has an inheritance for us. He has victory for us. And it will be opposed, but the question will remain day after day, week after week, to whom will we listen all of the opposition and the clamor coming from them are the power of the promise coming from God himself so this morning with all these things in mind and ignoring the clock completely I want to share with you a message called gloriously outmatched because if you feel like you're outmatched today it's not for your defeat it's for his glory and you will win if you want to so look with me in verses nine, or chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, verses 1 through 3. God is speaking to Israel, and it is just about time for them to cross the Jordan over into the Promised Land. And before that happens, he wants them to understand their mission again. In verse number 9, uh, chapter number 9, verse number 1, he says again, Israel, listen to me. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today. You are to go in. You are to dispossess the nations greater and mightier than yourselves. How many of you know that God will paint an honest picture about what awaits us in our day-to-day living? God will not tell you, now that you're a child of mine, everything's going to go your way. Now that you're a child of mine, you're never going to struggle. Now that you're a child of mine, the devil's just going to immediately run and leave you alone forever. Now that you're a child of mine, everybody's going to like you. Everybody's going to love you. Everybody's going to bless you. Everybody's going to be in your corner. The Lord never says that. What the Lord actually says to those who have their hearts set, not simply on getting out of Egypt, which is symbolic of us being saved, but us crossing over Jordan, which is symbolic of us moving into the fullness of the promised inheritance that he has for us. This is what God says. He says, it's going to be a fight. He says, I am commissioning you. 
this day to know that when, when I lead you, you are to cross over. That's what we talked about last Sunday. You are to press in to all that the Lord has for you. All that he is and all that he has prepared. He will not tell you what it all is ahead of time. He will give you enough of the scent of it to make you long for what he has for you. But he will not explain in detail everything that he has. He will say, it's good. It's awesome. It's the best that I have for you. It's better than you could ever think. But you're going to have to fight for it. He says, I want you to go ahead and cross over And then my children, Israel, in context here, he says, dispossess them. He says, I have granted you some things that are currently in the hand of the enemy. I am going to lead you forth into the place of blessing, and it is upon you to follow me, to cross over the barrier, to enter into the land, and I want you to take from them what they currently hold, which I say belongs to you. So this is not reactionary. This is not a defensive assignment. This is offensive. This is the Lord saying, I am sending you forth intentionally into a battle that I promise you, you're going to win if you will follow me. And he says there at the end, he says, those nations are greater and mightier than yourselves. Now, we don't like that part. Lord, send me to people opponents weaker than me, afraid of me, scared of me, less skilled than me, less equipped than me, and ready to quit more so than I would ever be ready to quit. Lord, send me against that enemy. And God says, I can't get any glory out of that. God says, you'll get the glory if you win that battle. Y'all be having chest thumping contest. You'll be strutting around like some player in the NBA finals, slam dunking. Did y'all see that dunk the other night by LeBron? That was good. I would have strutted too, but I'm 5'7 and I can't jump. But I, I watched him do that and I thought, you know, and, and we see this all the time. We, we love to take credit for the things that we can do in our own power, but God's not into us getting the credit. God's into him getting the glory. So he sends us into a land where we're gloriously outmatched. Some of you are thinking, man, my life's jacked up right now. I am messed up. I am facing things bigger than me. You might be be tempted to think that that somebody's made a mistake. You, You might be tempted to think that something's wrong when the fact of the matter is, for those of us that have set our hearts for Jesus and his glory, who are not simply just content to be born again and go to heaven when we die, but are pressing in and longing and expecting to experience all that God has for us, we need to understand, of course we're going to be resisted. Of course we're going to be fought. Of course it's going to be hard. And God told us ahead of time it would be so. See, friends, we we think, as, as much as Scripture paints the picture otherwise, our default position is that we think we're fighting horizontally. We think we're fighting naturally. We think we are fighting the human element, our circumstances, our our situations, when the reality is that there is a scheme and a system behind all of that. And that scheme and system, which is enthroned by one named Satan, who is the, the king of darkness, he is intentionally resisting especially those of you that have said, my life is all about Jesus. My life is for the glory of God. I'm going to be who I'm supposed to be. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to press in and never quit. That gets the enemy's attention. And that is where he strategizes to fight. So sometimes you'll find out in the, the Christian life that some of the people that are most tossed and turned and battled and fatigued and come against are not those on the fringes of God's best. They're pressing into the core of it. And some of you are here today. 
God's not going to pat you on the head and try to make you feel better. He said, you're going up against an enemy that you can't win against apart from me. But then he adds this, but you don't have to worry about that because I'm not sending you into the battle apart from me. I'm going ahead of you. I'm going to fight for you. So go down into the end of verse number 1 and into verse number 2 of chapter 9 of Deuteronomy. Listen, the Lord says, know your enemy to Israel. He says, you're going up against this great and mightier than you enemy, and their cities are great, and they're fortified up to heaven. That speaks of tall, thick walls unable to be scaled. He says, they are a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? So the Lord is telling them now more precisely, into this land, I'm not going to just give you a general description that you're coming up against some bad dudes. I'm going to tell you, you're coming against their cities that are surrounded and enclosed by walls that are too tall for you to climb. They're surrounded by walls that are too thick for you to push down on your own. They, we know about Jericho. They didn't, so that would have been very intimidating to them. And by the way, when you meet these fellows out on the battlefield, some of them are going to be giants. Now, I don't have time to run this rabbit trail here, but the Anakim, there's three classes of gigantic people in the Old Testament. And the best that we can tell is that these individuals were fierce opponents of Israel. And some of them stood to the nine, and some, some of those biblical archaeologists and people with letters behind their names would say some of them were as much as 12 to 14 feet tall. And so, my friends, the Bible just describes them, the, the Anakim, the Nephilim, and others, describes them as massive warriors. And God says, yeah, I'm going to send you to fight them. That's where you're going. And immediately you're tested. I don't know if I want to fight giants. And God says, well, do you want my best? Well, yeah, I want your best. Well, the Lord says, well, how about we fight them? Well, Lord, I don't know if I can beat them. And the Lord says, that's not what I said. I said, how about we fight them? And so often we do this. We look at our enemy. And we either want to deny that we're facing intense opposition. By the way, it's not always human and it's not always demonic. Sometimes it's circumstantial. Some of y'all are fi fighting right now Goliath-like circumstances. You know, reports from the, the medical professionals that tell you that they don't, they don't have any hope for you. I'm praying with a handful of people right now, about three people right now, that have been given just impossible diagnoses. And it looms over them like one of the sons of Anak saying, I dare you to think that you can win. And so immediately their faith is tested. And whether it's financial circumstances or relational circumstances or physical circumstances or ministry brick walls that you've hit, when you want to plow forward for the Lord, but you just can't seem to get anywhere, we all know what that's like. And the call of the Lord upon our lives is, if you will walk this out with me, I want to show you what victory looks like in this. My friends, if all we're doing is beating opponents that we know we can beat and avoiding the opponents that we don't think we can beat, then we are not walking by faith. We are pretending. We are singing wonderful songs about he who is the name, has the name above all names, but we're avoiding fighting with those that have lesser names than him. And friends, I'm in a place, and I believe this is the season for New Bridge as it's been prophetically spoken over this church by more than one person, that this church has been raised up not to be a church as in any other church, 
And God will let us do that if we want to. And he, as Chad Norris, my friend, told us, he won't be angry with us, but we won't be blessed in him like we could be if we will receive the call upon us to go and move into territory. I believe the Lord is calling other churches to do it. I believe he has called other churches to do it, and they have said no. They don't want to fight the sons of Anak. They want to fight a medium-sized opponent whom they're pretty sure they can beat because they've been to the latest church growth seminar. God has called us to press in. Say, press into what, Jeff? That's the adventure. It doesn't come with a syllabus. It doesn't come with this, this, and this, and then on this date, this. It is God says, I'm going this way. Who wants to follow? I'm going to tell you, for your elders, your leaders here at Newbridge, we have made up our mind in the big picture, and now we are pressing in together in what that means. And I want to tell you, that's where God is taking this assembly. He's taking us to be a, 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 a blueprint, a prototype for this region so that we can reveal that playing church was for the last generation. That this generation from the ones who are breathing and living today, all the ones through those who were born last week, the babies in our nursery through the senior citizens in this house, God says, I'm offering to take you somewhere that most people don't want to go. And then he says this, but there's some very thick walls there and there's some very big opposition there. But I hear him saying, do you still want to go? Well, go further with me because God did not diminish in verse number one and two the seriousness of their upcoming battles. It would be bigger than anything they had ever faced before. Remember, Israel's not trained warriors. They're wanderers. They were brick makers. Then they wandered in the desert, desert for four decades. And now God's about to thrust them into a, a long season of battle. And their opposition had been, uh, the, the opposition that was coming was, had an intimidating fierce reputation for slaughtering their opposition. That's what uh, Moses revealed that God said in verse number two, who can stand before the sons of Anak? That was a, that was a proverb at that time. It's like, who can beat the warriors in the finals? All you Cab fans will have to forgive me. But it's like, when you see an opponent that all they do is win, win, and win, there becomes a proverb, a byword, and the sons of Anak were undefeated champions. They just always won. And Israel said, that's who you're sending us up against? And it's as if the Lord says, yeah, I'm actually sick of people glorifying the sons of Anak. I want my glory back, and I'm going to use you to get it. And that's what God wants to do with this church today. So go down into verse number 3, and then we'll skip into chapter number 20. Here's the question. Believe that God is for you. Will you do that? Will you believe that God is for you? Look, verse 3. Know therefore... Today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Now watch this. Right here in these three verses, here's the mission. Cross over, go in, drive them out, make them perish. Cross over, go in, drive them out, make them perish. This is going to require intense commitment and endurance. And above all, there would be the refusal that was placed upon them, never quit. You can never quit. They had to press in. But their great need stood in this one thing. They had to believe that God was for them. They had to believe that God would keep his word. 
They had to be convinced of the presence and the power and the promise of their God. And this is what God said. He says, the one who goes before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. So what is God saying there? God is saying, Israel, I know their cities are intensely fortified. I know that their physical appearance is like nothing you've ever seen. I know that they have the reputation of nobody being able to defeat them. But I want you to know that I'll be taking the lead on this. And whereas you have never seen the likes of them, they have never seen the likes of me. And God says, I will go in like a consuming fire. Israel was still going to have to fight. But what God is describing here is that he would literally blaze a trail with his presence and he would prepare everything that was impending, every upcoming facet of the battle, to give it, to lend itself to their victory. Here was the question. Did they know it? Verse 3 says, know therefore. Verse 1 says, hear this. You see, this is the rub, Christians. This is really what it all boils down to. Do you believe that God is for you? Do you believe that God is actually for you? Until we come to that certainty of heart that God's not toying with us, He's certainly not teasing us, He's definitely not lying to us, He's not setting you up for dis disappointment like some of our earthly fathers might have done, our earthly parents, our spiritual leaders, our pastors, and, and those that were supposed to influence us for good, and they talked it up and then let us down. God's not like that. But God is testing us all in this one thing. Do you think I'm trustworthy? And those that think He's trustworthy cross over Jordan go into the land, take it from the enemy until the enemy is slaughtered. That is the evidence of faith. Faith is not confirmed in saying amen to a sermon. And I hope you'll continue saying amen to a sermon. That, that encourages me. But that doesn't mean we have faith. That just means we agree what's being said in theory. Do you know where the real amen comes? Monday. Monday. The real amen comes when one of the sons of Anak gets up in your business. The real amen comes when the incurable is pronounced over you and you're either tempted to start making preparations at the funeral home or start making preparations to be at the prayer meeting because you're not going to let this son of Anak go down without a fight. See, brothers and sisters, these are the kind of things that bring faith out of, and I love our songs, and I love to preach. I hope the Lord lets me preach until I die. But ultimately, this is to get us focused and get us stirred and get us centered to provide an atmosphere and an opportunity for us to hear from the Lord and then to commit to what we hear in a moment of faith. But ultimately, faith is not lived out in this room. Faith can be burgeoned in this room. It can be, it can be added to in this room. But faith is only faith when we look at the Jordan and we say, everything that God has for me is on the other side of that. I'm going to follow him over into the place where there's going to be battles. But my friends, listen, let me just say something. 
aren't there battles on the other side of Jordan too? I mean, you're either going to fight out of His will or in His will. You don't even have to be spiritual for that one. You just need to be smart. I, I would much rather fight a battle in His will than be fought out of His will. In His will, we win. Out of His will, the best we can do is scrape out a temporary victory in our own power. But there's always a bigger son of Anak that'll come. In His will, brothers and sisters, glorious things happen. So as God's pledge was to them... As a consuming fire, he would partner with them to overcome everything that needs to be overcome. Listen to me. As the Lord leads this assembly, please don't ask your elders for the next 12 months strategy and battle plan. Don't. Pray for us to receive it as God gives us. But don't hinge your participation in what God's going to do here and is doing here to you having a full guaranteed explanation outlined in bold print, points, subpoints, and sub-subpoints. That's not faith. And by the way, we don't have it to give you. If, if I can outline it that clearly um, at this juncture, I'm going to tell you it would be because probably there's more Jeff in it than Jesus. And what we want to do is steward what the Lord wants. And if you were here last Wednesday night, and I almost never do this, you need to listen to last Wednesday night's sermon. Um, I don't even remember what it's called, but I know I preached it. But it talked about the little by little incremental ways of God. And brothers and sisters, that is how this will begin. We're going to start seeing incremental victory over things that we're not currently seeing victory in. There's going to be financial victory on this house, and that's because some of you are going to begin to be blessed financially. You're going to be stewarding it. Others of you are going to raise your game. You're going to start becoming sacrificial and consistent in your giving, and we're going to be able to do more. But God is going to do over and above anything that we could ask or think. It will come. There needs to be financial freedom on the members of this uh, covenant community here. There's also going to be breakthrough in healing. There's going to be breakthrough in spiritual gifts. There's coming very soon a way for all of those that are hungry and are willing to press in there's coming an elevation of spiritual gifts that are going to be coming there's go we're going to see some of the miraculous that has been denied us up to this point because of unbelief and disunity over the past several years there's going to be an increase in the prophetic an increase of clarity and the words of knowledge we will see healings in this house you say well Jeff I don't know about that well if you'll cross over Jordan and follow the one that goes before you you will know it you'll see it with your own eyes Remember, that's the test. Are you hearing him? Are you hearing a lesser voice? And so at this point, we have to decide what are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to what every other church is doing? Or are we going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who's saying there's more and I want to use New Bridge Church to reveal that to a community? By the way, we're not the only ones in this community. Right now, we're strategizing with other churches in this area across denominational lines for a gathering of believers from all of these different churches. And I can't tell you the name of the church, but one of the biggest churches in our area is going to host a regional event where churches, you, I hope, will come. All the people in this place and people in our community will come together, and we will not bring our denominational badges. We don't have one here at Newbridge, but we will leave all of that rot that divides us. We're going to press into the altar of the Lord together on a Friday night. And it's not 
just one. There will be many. And we're going to say, Lord, send that fire to Gwinnett County. Send that fire to this region. Burn away the, the animosity of racism and overt religion here. Tear down those strongholds, Lord. We are following you. Go before us as a consuming fire. And mark my words, friends. Hold me accountable for it. It's going to happen. The question is, will you believe it? So let's finish up in Deuteronomy chapter number 20. My goodness, believe that God is for you. That's what he wants so badly for some of you. God will do a lot of things for you, but typically he will not believe for you. There's going to have to come a time where you actually put your feet in the Jordan. There's going to have to come a time where you advance into the shadow of a giant. There's going to have to come a time where you look at a wall surrounding your own private Jericho and you give the victory shout and you trust God to knock it down. That time has to come. So he's asking us, do you believe that I'm for you? Deuteronomy chapter 20 was the second passage we read and there's four verses there. Because now as we've dealt with his greatness, as the consuming fire, as the one of power and presence and promise, who says he will go before us, and as we follow him, there will be great victory given. Chapter number 9, those verses are all about his greatness, and we're left with one question. Do you believe that he's that great and that he will um, implement that greatness on behalf of bringing you a victory? And then verse number 20, or chapter number 20, now he's going to deal with our fears. And God does so through giving a word of courage. He gives a word of courage. He gives one for when we see trouble at a, dense, a distance. In verse number one of chapter 20, look, he says, when you go out to war, this is once you're in the land, when you go out to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Again, notice, friends, this is an offensive assault, offensive assault. It's not a defensive response. We've got to get out of this mentality in the church that we're just kind of hanging out, waiting for ISIS to show up, or waiting for the government to crack down on us. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is actually offensive, We're actually supposed to pursue the victories we've been promised, not defend against those things coming against our comfort zone, but actually fight to take territory that belongs to the church. I mean, he's either the king of the universe or he isn't. And if we're the king's subjects, my friends, we don't need to go around apologizing and being in a defensive posture and say, I'm sorry, but we want to keep our little piece of territory. Then listen, we're to be salt and light. We're supposed to season and illuminate our generation. So what the Lord is saying here is he's saying, I want you to know when you go out against them, that means take on the mindset of looking for opportunities to win. When you see an enemy, sometimes you pray, but sometimes you sling the sword of the word of God. Sometimes, you know, you, you, you turn the other cheek. Sometimes you do. But sometimes you just deal with it as, as the Lord did. There, you know, the same Jesus that told you to turn, another cheek, uh, turn the other cheek also turned over some tables. That landed. <laughs> I, 
If I can just risk this for a minute, God help me with outline. If you're a hermeneutics professor here, you've already flunked me this morning. That's cool. I still love you. I think we're entering a season where the church is going to be doing some table flinging. By the way, you remember where he did that, right? It was in the face of religion. It it wasn't a bunch of pagans. It was overturning the tables that were indicative of the religious status quo. And Jesus was mad. He was angry. That's what the scriptures say. Yep, the same Jesus who welcomed little children into his lap made a whip in the temple courts and chased out the religious hypocrites. See, the battle, it's not always the big, ugly, giant son of Anak who's clearly a God-hater. Sometimes, friends, Satan joins the church. Sometimes he shows up. He, he conducts business meetings. He preaches. He sings. He disciples. Sometimes he writes the bylaws. And the fact of the matter is, is that the Lord is going to be calling the church. Because listen, fire is going to come from the outside. Jesus said that persecution is going to come. But Paul also indicated that in the church, at the end of the age, the love of many will wax cold. And that there's going to be the form of godliness but it'll be a denial of the power of God. And so it is incumbent upon us that are crossing over Jordan, pressing into all that the Lord has for us to recognize it's not always the big hairy-backed giant looking at us. Sometimes it's the well-polished, quiet, subtle, sinister leaven that enters the church. And the Lord says, I'm going to call you to fight these things. So he tells them there in chapter number 20, verse 1, He says, you're going to go out to war, but when you do, you need to know something. There's going to be times where you're out-resourced. They're not going to be imagining this. There's going to be times where they're coming up on foot against chariots and horses. God says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. Master what you see with what you believe. Don't live according to the, the natural sight, the natural eye. God says, you're going to see some things. It's going to test you. What does that have to do with us? Because last I heard, there was nobody on a chariot and a horse bearing down on you. But the fact of the matter is, you're seeing some things on the distance. This is when you see at a distance. You can see a horse and a chariot on the battlefield at a distance. And it gives you a lot of time to get panicky, to get nervous. And God said, no, no, no. When you see trouble coming at a distance, don't you be afraid. Some of us in the church have, have crafted to a fine art how to fear well. We we can see something a mile away. We sniff it in the air when it hasn't even materialized. We have honed the art of being afraid. And the Lord says, that's not going to work in a battle season. They were also outnumbered. By the way, it says an army larger than your own. So the odds are going to be stacked against you. Listen, we got to be okay with that. You know, Where does God get the glory? He gets the glory when you can't win on your own. Is it any wonder that he's not, he doesn't have an aversion to put us in situations where we can't win on our own? 
Of course he's going to do that. Why? He wants to do two things. He wants to manifest his glory through our impossibilities. But he also, in individual intimacy with his children, he wants us to know that he's bigger than what we might fear. And so he puts us into these situations. You say, Jeff, God would never do that. Friend, you either need to read your Bible or throw it away. Because the reality is, is he does do it. He does it all the time. So they were outnumbered, they were out-resourced, but then the command just kind of hangs like a beautiful canopy under, over all of it. God says, yeah, that's okay. Outnumbered, out-resources, out-resourced. Will you believe me when I tell you there's no reason for you to be afraid? So immediately we're brought into this crucible of decision. Okay, but all that stuff's real, all that stuff's big. I don't know how I can fight it on my own, but yet God is telling me not to be afraid. So let's walk through that. I'm going to talk to you in verses 2 and 3. We're almost done. When that trouble that was once at a distance, we eventually we encounter that trouble up close. Look at verses 2 and 3. When you draw near to battle, that means it's not out there on the horizon, it's right in your face. The priests come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, there it is again, today you're drawing near for battle against your enemies. Don't allow your heart to be faint. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear, do not panic, do not be in dread of them. Here we go. This will separate the big boys and girls from those that are still toddling around. God says this, I'm actually putting the responsibility on you to not allow your heart to be given to these three levels of fear. Now, I, I have prayed this, and so I am not pointing an accusing finger. I'm preaching to Jeff Lyle, too. I've, I've been preaching this to me all week long. Because I, I face giants just like you do. I, got, I, I need some breakthroughs, and those walls are tall and thick. And some of them I've been beating my head up against longer than I ever should have. And my head hurts, and the wall's still standing. The Lord says, Jeff, and he says to you, guard your heart. I don't have room available for fear to hunker down in there. What are the three levels of fear mentioned? Once we recognize that God is calling us to not cultivate fear, he says, don't let it faint, do not fear. Now listen, I don't think anywhere in Scripture we're forbidden from the human, it's even biochemical and connecting to your adrenal glands, we're not forbidden to feel fear. It is what do you do with it as soon as you feel it? Fear is actually part of the way God has wired us. It can protect us. It can cause us to fight or flee. And there are times where there, listen, if, a, if an 18-wheeler is bearing down on me, I, I want to fear. I want to get out of the way. I don't want to say, I'm going to faith this truck to stop. No. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, otherwise I will not need faith anymore because I will be in heaven. What, what I want to do is I want in that moment, fear says, get out of the way. In that sense, it's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what do you do with the fear once you sense it? Listen, I'm going to be bold here with some of us. Repent of cultivating fear in your heart. It's a strong word. Repent of it. Cultivating fear in your life. What if this? What if that? What if this? Friends, there, there is no easy way to say it. That's sin. 
because it denies the goodness and the power of God on your behalf. You have to take ownership. Don't let fear grip your heart. I, I, I gave this quote in our Elevate class this morning at 9. Oswald Chambers says, uh, we control what we can understand. Is it any wonder we want to understand everything? You see, my friends, there are some things that are beyond our control, and we're not called to live in fear of those things. Listen, a bad prognosis from the doctors is, is frightening in and of itself. What are you going to do with that fear? Um, a, a, a fracture in a marriage, a fracture in a home, a relational dissolution, those things bring a lot of opportunity for, for fear. What will you do that, with that? Burying a loved one and what comes next is heart, not only heartbreaking, it is attached to a lot of fear, potentially. What will we do with that? That's the first level of cultivating fear. The second, we're forbidden here, or they are, and by application us, don't respond in fear. Where do I see that? God says, don't panic. It's actually in the Bible. Don't panic. Feeling fear, if we cultivate it, we will inevitably respond in fear. And you can actually get really good in that, and you can live in a state of spiritual unrest and panic. You will be never, you, you won't be able to sleep you won't be able to have normal relationships. It can affect your, your physical being, your mental being, your emotional being. And, and the, the devil traffics in fear. He loves fear. Fear is, a, is like a paralyzing agent. And so if we panic, that means we are not responding in faith. We are responding in fear. God never orders us to panic. He doesn't. And so we are called as individuals and as assembly. And we face some things in our year and a half. We face some incredible things in our year and a half in existence. The fallenness of, of, of an individual in our, in our church family. It broke our hearts and it caused fear. And yet we came together and we got in the presence of the Lord and we sought his face and we called on his name and we operated in obedience and the fear melted away. But there's going to be bigger sons of Anak than that. And we can't panic. Leaders, hear me on this. Panic is contagious. It won't come from your elders. Overcaution will not come from your elders. Wisdom? Prudence? Yes. Fear? Never again. And then the third level. Living in fear. Cultivating fear, responding in fear, living in fear. God says, don't be in dread of them. Being in dread just means fear got you. Fear got you. Fear's got you in its pocket. You wake up, your first thought is, dun, dun, dun. Your favorite song is Taps. You, 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 you live in the environment mentally of, what doomsday scenario will find me by noon? Listen, I'm not even being funny. This is reality. What happened? You're living in dread of a fear. You are actually eating the, from the garden that was filled with seeds that brought forth the fruit of fear. And you're eating it and eating it and all you taste is fear. And God says... No, don't let your heart 
do that. When we say, God, I don't want to be fearful. Make me not afraid. And God says, no, start believing me and you won't be afraid. But I feel afraid, God says. How about enthroning me on what you fear or what you feel? You see, my friends, until Jesus is Lord of our emotions, that means our emotions are Lord of our lives. Man, that was better than y'all amen right there. That, that ministered to me. That wasn't in the notes. That was Holy Spirit dropping a deposit in somebody. Until he is the Lord of our emotions, that means the emotions are Lord of our lives. And so when we see all of this, God's not standing at a distance saying, hey, you out there, quit being afraid and get your act together. He's saying, just follow me. I'm going before you. I'm taking care. I'm I'm at work in everything you're afraid of. My friends, listen. Some people would argue with that. They would say, well, Jeff, how can I know he's working ahead of me? I don't see it. You know why? Because there's a distance between you and him. You didn't follow yet. You don't see the consuming fire taking care of business until you get up on him and you go where he goes. And that is when you start seeing him burning away the very thing that used to intimidate you. Worship team, come on up here because I'm going to finish right now. Verse number four is the last. Thank you for being so patient this morning. We hear our trouble addressed. We saw it at a distance. We encountered it up close. And now we hear it addressed. He says this, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight against your enemies to give you the victory. Oh. The promised land does not come to you. You can pray the rest of your life. The promised land does not come to you. You go into it. You can pray all day long. Lord, bring that promised land reality to me. I want milk. I want honey. I want bounty. I want my inheritance. I want my territory. Let your kingdom come to me. And the Lord says, I have called you to cross over Jordan, to follow me, to fight for it. You've got to fight for it. And if you're not in the mood to fight, you'll never get it. You'll never get it. It's, it's, it's not even complicated. God doesn't bring the promised land to you. God brings you into the promised land, but not without your faith and obedience. And so there comes that time where we say, this side of Jordan has taught me much. But God's best is on the other side. And God's best right now is in the hands of some enemies that don't have any right to it. And I'm tired of waiting on it. If my God has gone over there before me, which he says he has, and he said he did it in order to give me the victory, then if I'm not with him in the victory, I'm over here as a loser. That sounded harsher than I meant it. You know what I mean? I want to enter in to the victory he's provided. It begins with a definite moment and step of faith. For some of you, this morning is it. For others of you, you're tired, you're weary, 
You're wondering where the settling is. My friends, you're still fighting giants. That's the way it works. It took Israel seven years to subdue the promised land. Seven years. But they received their inheritance. I want that for you and I want that for me. And let me just say this as I close. New Bridge, it's ours. It's, it's ours. We're, we're actually not going to make a move a second and put it up for vote. It's a done deal. We will have it to the degree that we want it.